Fun, 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 fun. Fun times with great people, yeah! Hello and welcome to Fun Times with Great People. I'm Minket and I'm here today with Kieran Gillen. Hello. And Sarah Kenny. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the recent Wictive Immersive Experience that we ran at Thought Bubble, which is a comic convention in Leeds. Could you tell me about the Wictive Immersive event which you ran at a comic <laughs> convention in Leeds called Thought Bubble? <laughs> Um, I like the way that you twisted the, I the question so I, I could make kind of an answer forgot, out kind of it. I kind of forgot it, it's good. It's good yeah. Repeat the question and the answer is always good. Like, I mean, tell me how it came about, like, like the whole background and how you chose to execute it and like, how it all came. It was obviously this, it was this magnificent thing, so where did you actually start? Well, it starts with Sarah. Yeah, so I, I last year at Thought Bubble, um, I ran, it, it was a kind of an immersive experience related to Surgeon X comic. And I kind of learnt a lot from doing that. And we sort of invited people into the room and um, they sort of met with various characters who are a range of surgeons and microbiologists. Um, and so part of this sort of work and trust engagement fellowship I'm doing, which is exploring comics and how comic creators, scientists, medical humanities people and audiences can kind of combine to have conversations about how we tell these stories um, about health and the human condition. So, I wanted to do something at Thought Bubble with a, a comic that had sort of themes that resonated with health and the human condition, not, not necessarily an obvious way, but to tease them out um, and sort of bring the audience to a space where they could step into the story world, um, have experts in the room, and the experts are not just telling them stuff, but the audience are telling the experts stuff that they can take away and potentially using their research. So that's how it started. And then Kieran lives where I <laughs> used to live. And I thought, well, I'll ask him because he might say yes, because he might just be embarrassed if he bumps into me in the future. <laughs> 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 said no. I'm famously shameless, that wouldn't have worked. But I remember so we met in a club and we just basically yeah. talked at length about a what other comics could work. Because we ended up like talking about because what is Wicked's themes and Wicked's themes are various. Mm. Uh, but we ended up talking about like, the one which we thought might be interesting is what is art for? Because that's kind of like, on some degree, that's, that's buried in the question of Wictive. Artists exist and they create. Uh, and of course, that kind of the conversation rambled in that way that maybe you would want to do this without Wictive. Because mm. it's something that's applies to comic arts generally. As in, it could just be a, a comic event rather than a Wictive event. Mm. But you end up like, so why did you end up deciding A, to burrow down art, and B, to make it Wictive? I think what's really interesting about Wictive is obviously there are sort of many layers there. What I could do is I could bring people in the room who were from different spheres of expertise. So we brought in a historian, a psychologist, an evolutionary biologist, um, a computer expert. And depending on who you ask this question about what art is for, you would get a very different answer and a very different perspective. And I think within WITDIV, you have this sort of story playing out, but you've got these sort of very, very diverse characters who kind of see the situation in very different ways. They see the impact of becoming a god in very different ways. They kind of utilize it in different ways. And it's really interesting when you have these sort of different character viewpoints and how they just have, a, they would all have a completely different take on that question. And then so when we were sort of brainstorming and talking about it, you know, thinking about, well, could, how can you really integrate the experts in the room with the characters of Wictiv? How could you create relationships that felt really authentic and really mm. represented the comic? And so, you know, talking with Mink got involved because obviously we, we, we wanted to try and gamify the experience a bit more. And so Kieran 
said, oh, I know somebody who I know could work on that. I, so I mean, what, when you were first thought to uh, Sarah, what was your initial kind of take? Because I said, what did you narrow? Is the, what's the problem here? What we can try to solve? Well, first, I think originally uh, you wanted an escape room um, set up, which, uh, which was why Kieran suggested me as the local escape room designer. Um, <laughs> uh, we we're very London, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think that that was there was a point where it was kind of like this. And I don't think I don't think an escape room is actually going to be the best mm. environment to to get conversation started and to even just get like the throughput of people that we'd want because comic conventions are really big but also very fluid space like people are going to go and like investigate different rooms to find different art uh, or what art they want to find and also go to talks and things if we want to say hey come and be locked in a room for an hour that's kind of a bit of a turn off I imagined mm. so I wanted to change the structure to be something which was a little bit more kind of free flow people could come in if they decided they wanted to leave after five minutes, then they could. Um, I was kind of assuming that people would stay for about an hour at best, um, and then people ended up staying for two to four hours. Mm. Um, I think what's really interesting about the sort of the escape room format as well is that when you are having these conversations, there isn't a right or wrong answer. Yeah. You know, so you, it doesn't yeah, yeah. work in that you're, you know, there's a puzzle and you solve it. It's, and, and so we sort of changed it so that people came in, they were presented with a table, on that table was a mask, um, a bookmark and a zine, and their job was to create a piece of art, and that art would um, change based on the conversations they had with the experts. The experts would give them um, clues that then led them to a box, and they could unlock the box if they had the, the right code, yeah. and they could look inside, and then they could create this piece of art. And I think it was, you know, that there are elements of escape room there and that you get clues yeah. to unlock things. But we were talking about this, weren't we? You know, is there such a thing as a, a philosophical, you know, <laughs> escape room? And it was a really interesting process actually going from how do you create something, how do you gamify something that doesn't have a right or wrong answer? Mm. You know, yeah. how do you, how do you, and, and, and I think it was, it was an interesting experiment, I think. I'd like I mean, to do more of it and even twist just, it up just, just being able to... So we put the experts in different corners of the room and we didn't say people had to go in a particular order because that also would be kind of like, well, everyone would have then gotten the same perspective of this lens, this lens, this lens and, and, all, and in the same order. So letting people be able to go and talk to whoever they thought looked most interesting to go and talk to. Um, if you're in an escape room, normally... Things are very linear. You have to solve puzzle A in order to get to puzzle B. So breaking out of the linear format of um, of uh, just even just touring around the room in the first place uh, kind of made it really really feel strong strongly to me that we shouldn't be trying to create puzzle chain. So instead, there were five standalone interactive objects, as it were, which were these mostly these boxes. <laughs> Which were just the image of the front. Sorry, the interactive. I thought you meant the actual, uh, the actual experts. <laughs> just grab all the interactive objects. That's cold, <laughs> No, the boxes, yeah. That's how I view people. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so next to those interactive objects, which are people, there were these boxes, um, and uh, which were based on the on boxes that appear in the comic, but I don't know if uh, that was a very Woden, subtle Woden nod. Woden design boxes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. so um, a subtle nod to, like, are you sure you want to look, see what's actually in this thing? Um, so, but when you opened it, there were... So even just talking with the experts gave people reasons and motivations to want to create art anyway but if they looked in these boxes there was like a little kind of challenge in there a creative challenge that was appropriate to the particular wicked god that they had just been talking to the associated oracle of mm. um that if they put that tell that creative mark into the artwork that they made it was proof that they had kind of engaged with the game which meant because they're playing a the game they can they could uh, ascend to the higher level, which I'm talking very obliquely mm. about, mm. which is still very mysterious sounding, because I think we need to cover some more bases before we mm. get onto that. I was, about to say, I, was, I, just, <laughs> I was about to turn to that in terms of actually, because what you, it's interesting because like, obviously I'm game journalist design, I said, escape rooms are quite constricted design. In fact, you know, no pun intended, they are literally <laughs> constricted design. Uh, the idea that that kind of like, here is a, essentially it's a free form open world game, and here are a series of interactive elements, but there's also a bottleneck, the bottleneck being the Anank encounter. Um, so, and then it calls these to an end game, which is much more constrained. So the idea that's another way to create narrative structures, and here is a, here's a product with free roaming NPCs, you have an emergent event from it, mm -hmm. which is a really like, that's a very fluid and interesting way of doing it, I think, and speaks to the project. I mean, was that, I mean, how much, is that, does that speak to your intent, or like, is just a, did that just my read of your intent? Um, I was viewing it as like side quests. That's a good thing, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. The, so the actual experience itself was going into the room, talking to the experts, creating artwork, and that was actually the complete experience. And, and you could go and have that, and that was totally valid. You weren't n missing the ending. However, if you did go a bit further and you uh, engaged a little bit deeper, you found that there was this side quest, and then that's when people decided to spend several hours in there completing the side quest and then you got a quite you know a big reward for having found the secret hmm. um, I think I think the interesting thing was because last year when we had experts in the room it was kind of like medical people etc and, and this year I wanted to create a space that you know you would walk in we had some people walking in last year and walking straight out again because it was terrifying seeing all the people in the <laughs> so we yeah so we so each of the experts if you like we've been referring to them as oracles we turn them into characters so the, the sort of to create to link with the narrative of Wikdiv. so we had a, a fortune teller a guru um a tattoo artist um a somebody who ran a, a gallery that was an ai gallery and so i think immediately you you kind of look around the room and you thought right okay i kind of get what each of these are and i'm attracted to this sort of person to go and have a chat with um and I was expecting, because I was going around saying to people, okay, you don't have to see all five of them when we had, because we had, we were talking about the bottleneck. Mm. People were saying so long chatting to people that people weren't going upstairs into what we call God's green room. So we had this sort of slightly empty space for a while because people were enjoying the experience downstairs. So I was saying to people, would you like to, you know, you could try it up with an ankh. She might let you in after seeing three of them. People were like, no, I want to see everybody. <laughs> and so what was really interesting is that even though we'd created this sort of non-linear experience, you didn't have to see everybody, you could, you know, you had all the sort of side stories and stuff. People were still going and trying to hit every point because they felt maybe like they, they, you know, that, that was part of they wanted maybe to. Maybe completionist, you know, that's, yeah. that's the open world, that's the side yeah. quest thing. 
Well, I mean, that was also, when we were originally planning it, mm. we were thinking about how we're we going to restrict the numbers of people upstairs. So part of it was that, so if you did each of these uh, interaction boxes, challenges, it was kind of a mark of proof that you'd actually done it and we would be able to gauge like, all right so there's a lot of people up there so I won't let anyone up unless they've done all five that kind of thing mm. and in the end um, because people like everyone either everyone's coming with five we we're just kind of encouraging people to just if they had one I let some people up that had zero mm. because they had drawn a picture and that was enough <laughs> yeah. really um, uh, so the we should probably explain what the so I kind of wanted to not I was going to go into the experts now, actually. Let's, yeah. okay. let's, let's create the request bottleneck and visit yeah. the experts first. Okay. I say, like, the only, because, A, I was going to how you found the experts, but I was going to say the other thing was the experts tying to the plot. Was that's, that's basically the one Peter's input I think I had mm. in terms of you said who the experts were, what they'd be talking about, what they do in the world. Mm. And I gave some suggestions how they could know the gods. That was the, what it was basically mm. something like, kind of like, you know. Anon uh, would have gone to his gallery when he was like uh, before he transformed and it was kind of useful to him thinking and Amatrax was very easy Amatrax would clearly would have a guru uh, the bar that Dionysius was going on the way went on the way to clubbing for the philosopher and so on and so forth um, but like, that was all very responsive to your casting in terms of what can we do with this additive because it's like, cause I definitely spoke to some people it's very interesting like, you know it, that kind of oh yeah who used to come drink around here that part especially for the Wicked fans were very much like oh you know we recognise this how did you find these plots? How did you find these experts? How did you select and create them? It was interesting because um, when people interacted with the experts, I wanted people to, you know, not just have a conversation where they're getting information about the experts' point of view. I wanted them to come away from it with something, a positive experience that will kind of, I guess, enhance their life in some way or give them a new perspective or have a positive feeling coming out of it. So it wasn't just, you know, sort of... Um, just information passing. So I there's a few I've worked done quite a lot of public engagement stuff before and I have to say, you know, I'm not a comics expert, I'm probably more a public engagement expert. And so I had a few people that I worked with in the past who I kind of knew would fit mm. into your story well. So for example, Lucy the biologist who works at the Royal College of Veterinary Science, I want to say, that's probably right. Um, she, science. She played, <laughs> yes, science. It's kind of science, isn't it? Um, so she, she played the tattoo artist, and she used to be a trainee tattoo artist. And she is, she plays Dungeons and Dragons, you know, she's a gamer. She looks so the almost, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and she, and, you know, she, well. I knew that she would work for this. Um, and Matt, who was the guru, he sort of, you know, we, we spoke quite a lot before, we had conversations before, um, and they sort of gave a lot of their ideas and stuff. But he, he basically, he's a psychologist, and he had a moment in his past where he gave up doing art, and he thought he wasn't very good at it. And he started doing it again for his own sort of mental health reasons and creating and stuff. And, and so from that conversation, he has used art to help his, him sort of uh, psychological well-being, and he brought some of his artwork with it. And so he kind of fitted for that reason as well. And so it was a combination of that. And a Florence, Florence Okoye, who works at the Natural History Museum, is a user experience designer. I'd had conversations with her um, linked into, um, relating to Afrofuturism. And I thought her take on AI mm. and art and how, you know, how we, what do we think, does it have to be created by humans? And if it's not created by humans, is it art? Those sort of conversations we'd had historically meant that, that I thought she would work for it. I suppose I've got a massive box of scientist people I've worked with in the past, and I guess I just went into that box and went, right, 
who could sort of work that would fit into this story well and might might well have been oracles. So. It's funny because I wasn't even in there and it stuck with me. I mean, I, I ran yeah. a, a die game on Monday, from die being my new comic, uh, and I basically was using a computer-generated AI as the kind of, try, someone trying to create a computer-generated AI as the quote-unquote bad guy, is in terms of like he, someone's weird obsession to basically create a kind of Hal-esque thing to generate art and we can make better <laughs> art, with much more meaningful art. And that was kind of, I was thinking obviously about like, like very brief conversations with her. So that's, and I was in this room for like barely enough time at all, so it definitely like opened my thinking. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you were about to say. Oh, I was. Uh, I, I thought you, you you told me some of these experts you met um, at a, was it a stand up? Yes. Yeah, so That's basically, funny. there's this guy called Steve Cross who trains scientists to um, do stand up comedy, oh. and he ran a mentoring scheme where um, he forced them to do stand-up comedy, which is absolutely terrifying prospect. And, uh, but he, over a period of time, he sort of encouraged them in terms of how they could, you know, look at their subject matter, turn it into a story, make it funny. And so I did a presentation to them about TV stuff, sort of what it's like working in telly and stuff. And, um, and I met a few of them there. And the great thing was that they had all done public engagement. They all, you know, enjoyed becoming different people if you like playing up to you know a character um, and so they were a brilliant group of experts who had this sort of training if you like mm. which I was then able to basically use mm. but, so thanks Steve that's <laughs> <laughs> very useful Anyway, this is probably a good time to bring in an egg, I think. I think we think we've hit enough on the way I think so because one thing we haven't actually mentioned is that all of these experts although it's perhaps implicit were dressed up as characters oh yes and they, they we had created a space within your world you created the space in the world that they could have inhabited um and so that they could legitimately be part of the wicked universe without actually being any of the characters because that would be weird um and also they'd have to like yeah how would people respond to if they it's, actually met that's, that's my favorite thing is yeah. like meet, meeting someone who is Oh, I met it's like, oh yeah, I met Elvis once. That's yeah. more, that's more, almost a more believable experience than oh, I met Elvis. <laughs> As in that, that makes the yeah. gods' reality more real. And, oh yeah, I used to hang out with Bernardo down here. Yeah. He, was, he was a really sweet guy before he transformed. Then he's even more nice now. You know, I'm really glad mm-hmm. that kind of. Well, it's interesting because we talk, I toyed with the idea of like having people dressed up as the characters. And I think I think the thing with comics is when you read them, the character you obviously fill in all the gaps. The character talks the way you think they talk, they move the way you think they move, and you know, obviously the sort of the look of them, it's quite precise in your head. So if you then bring somebody else into play, unless you do that really, really well, and that you know, the actor knows that character inside out, it make it, with all the super fans in the room and stuff, it makes it very, very difficult to get right. So I think the idea of them being the oracles, it sort of allowed you know, each of the experts to have a certain amount, and they were all, all the experts were massively into reading the comic and kind of doing their homework and stuff. But it allowed them to sort of play with it a bit in terms of, oh yes, I met them, you know, or this is what I know about them. And, and so that sort of link could be, you know, it, it left the audience again with that space to use their imagination and bring with them their views and their images of, of, of the character. Mm. Um, that was actually another really fun part for me was that I actually, had somebody <laughs> captive who was like, so let me tell you about Tara from Wicked, and they didn't want to go away. Like I, they, they wanted to hear. People were like, no, tell me more about this particular character um, because I know lots. Apparently, yeah. it turns out. Now, the brilliant <laughs> thing about working with Mink is like, you know, I'm a fan of Wicked and Divine, but but Mink knows it, the story world inside out, mm-hmm. and so when we were sort of developing 
the idea it you I mink mean, just had all these connections and all this sort of amazing material that she could sort of help build into the story and and i think that's what i mean because it's it, it's it was quite complicated trying yeah, to yeah. sort of get it to work and for people you know the fans mm. not to be annoyed because we've got this bit wrong or that bit wrong or or for it not to feel like you were on a journey and for it not to feel like there was a payoff so there's you know it may may have just seemed kind of like like a random thing when you walked in the room but it was there was a lot mm. to kind of think through to, to make the logic stack up as to how you know how you experienced it so mm. yeah I mean that's that's kind of how I work in general is that I, I even if nobody actually really sees it as long as I can make something have an internal logic within the story world mm. even if no one's necessarily going to get that reference at least I know that it functionally fit in and so I don't need to worry about something not connecting mm. so even just like small things like the boxes that there were depending on which oracle you're talking to they gave you a story or a relationship uh, about a particular character in the world and the logo of that character was on the side of the box so that a fan would know oh I've just heard a conversation about uh, uh, the Norns so I'll go to that box over there like little things like, and if you didn't know that connection there's only five boxes you can walk around the room and see which one the padlock opens mm. or uh, activates I love the um, so one the, all, all the boxes have their own individual puzzles as well as the, the lock but like the um, okay not all of them but they, they have slightly different approaches but uh, do you want to talk about what you did with your phone <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant I love it you did tell no one phoned me today yeah I took oh, yeah <laughs> like yeah the first thing was like so I made a prop phone, which was Laura's phone, um, and uh, I even like made a little broken glass thing along the top, and I changed the screensaver and put a new SIM card in it, and then it stopped working just before I screwed it into the box permanently. Um, and so, because we couldn't get another phone in time, we tried to get another mm. phone in time, um, and it just wouldn't work with the SIM card and stuff, so I ended up using my own phone, which was in that box all day. Um, as Laura's phone and one of the I say puzzles one of the interactions was that you find Dionysus's flyer saying come to the the rave which is in the comic but um, we changed it so there was a phone number on the bottom instead of the URL um, and if you rang that phone number whilst looking into a particular box the boxes were all lit up apart from this one so if you rang that phone number, the phone rang, Laura's phone rang, with a picture of Lucy as the wallpaper, um, and the light of the phone lit up the box and you could read the instructions, the challenge instructions inside the box, um, which was just like a nice way of, of like giving a little nod to, it's like, this is Laura's phone, look, it's broken, and you're contacting mm. somebody who's at this party. And it was a fun thing, because obviously, well, we can talk about it later, but it linked into what you would finally find as you went up into mm. God's mm. Green Room as well, so the, with the flies that would be, giving, would be given out. So it's probably best actually start it. Like, you, as somebody who is, in some degree, the, the architect of the everything tied together, you're very, you end up playing an ankh, which seems very appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about being an ankh a little? Um, yes, so if you completed all the challenges, or even just one, and came, there was uh, an ankh was stood in the corner at the bottom of the staircase um, in a slightly terrifying mask and heavily in costume. Um, and so what I would then do is ask the, pers- ask the person to show me their, their artwork that they'd made, either their mask, zine, or bookmark, whichever it was, um, and then just ask them what it meant to them. So, and since they've just been having a philosophical conversation with five people about, like, what does art mean, they would say something, and, like, based on anything that they said, 
um, I would rack my brains as quickly as I could to try and think of an appropriate god that's not actually in the Wicked pantheon, but in any pantheon, um, so that it was unique to them. And then, uh, so based on what they said about what art meant to them, I would do the whole, um, what's it called, the ritual that she oh, does? Has it got a name? I don't know. I don't think it's got a name, actually. It's kind of, I was thinking of it as an ascension ritual because they go up a staircase. However, in the actual comic, they fall down. Mm. So, mm. Um, but uh, the, I think there's a word as beatification. Beatification is a good word, but it's not a word I've ever used. No, I know, but it's a yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, it's, a good, it's a good word. Like to, to deified. Be, deified is becoming a saint. Oh, it's a saint. Oh, okay. Yeah. So deification is the word. For deification. Mm. Yes. All right. So that's not an official word because we'll, we don't, yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. have one. But, yeah. um, so I would turn them into a god using the same uh, word sequence that Anank does in the comic. So if you were a fan of the comic, um, like some people were shaking mm. when it happened. Like it was really powerful to them. And because of the slightly cold reading thing I was doing of applying an actual god that was kind of in line with their thinking, like some people came up to me afterwards um, and said that was the, what you chose was just amazing um which was slightly slightly weird because i was just like ah you're this god um but yes <laughs> but i tried to do it that's, nag going. that's about my nag feel like oh, <laughs> <Lucifer>. <laughs> oh some people would definitely i could tell what they were straight away i think there was probably an element of that you were reading particularly with the art that they're presenting and stuff as well yeah so. yeah so i tried to so um and I, I mean i did reuse a couple like i did use the, uh Calliope, I don't even know if she is a god, but um Lucifer isn't even music yeah. is fine. Yeah, so I kind of like said the, the, the goddess of inspiration mm-hmm. because they just like put so much thought into the work they've done. Um, like some people made like fully formed zines, mm-hmm. like people worked really hard on those artworks. Some people also just like scribbled the thing, but you know. Um, oh yeah, so um, I would say the whole you'll be loved, you'll be hated, you are this god. <laughs> Um, and then some, and then I, some people I would hug because they, you could see that they wanted to. Some people I didn't. Um, and then um, sent them upstairs to the secret God's green room that we had on the floor above. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about yeah, that? Yeah. So I mean, I knew the sort of the layout of the building from last year, and thought it'd be really interesting to have this secret space that you could kind of see but didn't know what's going on there. And I think that's like all good storytelling. There's a box. You can't see what's on the box you want to know what's in that box. And that <laughs> kind of drives you onwards, basically. Yeah. So that was kind of the idea behind it. You could see it up there. You could see that there was somebody blocking the way. And you go around the room, get this done, and you can get up there. Um, and I wanted it to be something fun, because they would, people would have had sort of quite heavy conversations and mm. kind of, you know, people were coming away from... Some, you know, there's one guy who had a little cry and kind of it was quite emotional experience for some people. Um, and so you were sent up there, and um, obviously based on the Wick Dib comet, you had sort of um, Dio with his club and rave, and so we had the sort of the rave flyer, and uh, when you got up there, we had this silent disco, and the silent disco um, had playlists, Kieran's playlist, mixed in with a few, other, a few other tunes, and then you had access to sort of lots of snacks, and you also put on this thing called a sub-pack, now, I sort of met the sub-pack people before, and um, it's quite interesting when you first see people use it, like, some people will almost sort of have 
a little emotional, a really strong emotional response to it, but it basically is the bass, you can feel the bass. Mm -hmm. It's like standing at a party by the speaker and basically feeling it go all through your body, but it's not damaging your ears. <laughs> and so I think lots of people are using it now for that reason. And so you get to put this on, you have the silent disco, so you have a very physical, mm. as well as sort of the audio experience. There's lots of art around the room. It was all sort of blacked out. And, um, and you basically just go in and enjoy yourself. And it was kind of a bit weird, because it's like daytime raving. I know it's catching on a bit in some quarters, <laughs> yeah. but it's quite a hard thing to do. But people would just go and sit on the side, have the sweets, and some people would have full on, you know, good old dance up there and stuff, which was, which was, um, yeah, it was really nice to watch. And I think, you know, it was a very physical as well as visual and audio experience. And also, if you didn't have the sub pack and the headphones on, it was completely silent, yeah. which yeah, is yeah, very yeah. Cassandra. Yeah. What are you, where's what no music? Yeah. <laughs> And also it helped for what was going on down below for people, you know, not to be hearing at the yeah. disco. We yeah, had some yeah. and we, nice. we tried to pick snacks and party yeah. snacks and stuff well, that we were had, relevant to Yeah, well, we had a fun thing. We got Kieran to tweet out and ask the audience oh, yeah. what snacks would be in God's green room. And, and we used a load of those, like the little chocolate skulls and the, <laughs> yeah. what was it? Somebody said mix M&Ms with, with Skittles, you get um, S&Ms. And uh, we, we pick the Skittles without peanuts in them, but yeah, there yes. was there's a uh, and fruit. We put fruit in loads of yeah. fruit in there as well. Unfortunately, we couldn't get pomegranates because that, that was the aim, but they didn't have them. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And we put yeah, I like the tea lights that were in the uh, Starbucks cups. Yeah, like, yes, Starbucks cups. Yes, which was a really nice touch. <laughs> Again, funny. that was mink, yeah. came from mink spraying, but but yeah, so it was just a space where you could go and relax after you'd had that sort of those intense conversations. I mean, like, um, especially the next that this is kind of heading towards. We've gone through this entire journey together. Mm. Uh, actually, I've got to say, my, my, one of my favourite minor details is to, like the philosopher bartender having uh, the whiskey shots at the bar. So basically, the shot bottle had these shot bottles, and each one was labelled philosopher. So I was like, I'll give you a shot of Plato, <laughs> uh, which I loved. But um, so, what did people take from it? Obviously, like, if you want to unpack about the. Obviously, some people found it very emotional and powerful. And, like, what sort of feedback have you got from people on their journey? Yeah, so I've done, I'm actually doing a bit of evaluation because part of the work I do is to kind of try and just get better at it every time and kind of see what people took away from it. So um, people were very surprised about how long they stayed in the room and the fact that they wanted to see everybody and had people telling me about how, um, in particular this one guy was talking about how he was feeling a bit hopeless about the world before he came in and he particularly had a conversation with a historian and she's an expert in... Um, public health messaging and particularly around the HIV AIDS campaign and obviously there was a lot of sort of homophobic messaging etc that was um, going on at the time and she kind of talked about the history of how that evolved into something that was really helpful for the community and I think he took away from that that you know sort of activism does work it can work mm. and actually even when you look at this sort of this history part of the public health message he, he felt he felt quite empowered by that um, another person came up to me after that he'd had a conversation with the guru and the psychologist and was talking about um, the impact of, of doing art and that how if you're not good at it you tend to give up and I think we're always in life we're kind of like, you've got to be good at something to carry on doing it, yeah. be that dancing or whatever. And, 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 and it, it inspired them to, to, to go back and do more art and, and, and kind of like thinking about the, the positive effect it can have on you, even if you're not good at it. I mean, we all, actually, we're all pretty good at dancing, even though many of us are shit at it. Hmm. We all enjoy it and it all does amazing things for us, I think. But I think with art, we're not so good at carrying on throughout our lives in sort of writing or creating unless we have been labelled or yeah, think yeah, we're good at it. And I think that's, that's not a good thing. And actually, I think a lot of 
experts I've been talking to, this sort of massive divide between the art science world and dropping certain things because we, we haven't gone down that channel, we're not good at it. I don't, I, I don't think that's a healthy thing to do. I think sort of, if you, you know, if something is, um, can be beneficial to you, you don't have to be brilliant at it to kind of, mm. to do it. People might not buy it if you make something and it's not good at it, but, but <laughs> you know, the do it's not about, right. it's not about yeah. that. That's I mean, it's funny, it's like the art, yeah. the art science, I think right a lot of the art science schism yeah. of the 19th century is one of these things where it just, like, I think historically, like, the idea of being separate is such a, a relatively recent thing historically, yeah. and it just happens, to, you know, slightly before capitalism kicks off. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing, all these things kind of tied together. Mm. And it's massively depressing as well, mm. and I can rant on about this for ages, but in terms of what we're seeing at our schools at the moment, in terms of cutting back in the arts, cutting back on drama, it is massively damaging, because you are creating these sponges rather than these sparks. And if you look at how any scientist works or a surgeon works it's through making an observation and trial and error and you know sort of creating and that sort of creating is what helps create human beings that will think laterally and will try things out and will fail at things and will try things out and fail at things, rather than just rote learning things and so i think that sort of the fact that the arts and science have been divided it, 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 I think it's a real shame and it, it, it's something that I would like to see change, certainly. So, um, let's see, four hours. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what, yeah. that, that, that's like, this is pretty much the last question, I think, as in the bar, what are you going to take away from it? Um, four hours, I mean, like, was it like an hour each person or was it oh like... God, it wasn't even lo- It wasn't even just one or two people that stayed for longer uh, than an hour. There was like yeah. many, many people were there for two hours, three hours, four hours, which was really really surprising I think but I guess the depths of conversation they were getting into and also there were some cues going on yeah. mm. but um this is the big question though, it? like, it's not one of these kind of like mine you walk in you press the buttons and leave mm. this is kind of mm. something that you would sit in the pub and talk about you know, yeah, yeah. Like, but this is one of the things I sort of you know again sort of doing you know public engagement is my thing is that we we, we tend to have lots of public engagement stuff where people are just telling mm-hmm. and you can only take a certain amount of telling but if, you, if people are involved in a conversation a proper conversation where the person is reflecting the experts reflecting and taking that on board mm-hmm. and then throwing back a question to the audience and really listening to what the audience per- and really being interested in what the audience wants you know is saying I think you create a completely different dynamic. It could be like you've got a pint there and you're sitting and you're kind of setting the world to rights in a way that is, <laughs> you will sit there for much longer than somebody just sitting and giving you a lecture. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know, maybe it was that sort of trying to close the loop in terms of it being a conversation rather than just telling. That there, there was another thing from escape rooms that we put in, which is uh, when you're, so each person, not only were they having a conversation, but they had an activity. Because if you are thinking whilst moving, then you're, and if you're thinking with your hands, you, you think in a different way and you engage with things in a different way. I mean, it's almost like when you're, you're like listening to the radio whilst knitting or painting Warhammer figurines. And doing like, dishes, moments prime. <laughs> really yeah, exactly. Um, like that's, uh, it, it, it's a different, and that's something that happens in escape rooms as well because you are engaging with things physically as well as cerebrally. You, you just take things in in a different way. So we gave, so like the bartender, you had the glasses um, to, to, to be drinking and, and fiddling with. You had the tattoo artist who was uh, being stick-on tattoos but tattooing people. The, uh, the, the guru who was running a game of art deck with people. So people were actually like, collaboratively making an artwork through this game. 
and the uh, the historian who was um, doing fortune telling. Yes. With uh, with uh, using the music to do yeah. the fortune. Oh, so right, it's like, right, right, yeah, yeah. So we had the shuffle. shuffle. Well, yeah, yeah I, I remember shuffle. Remember that. Not yeah. Yeah. suggestion using yeah. shuffle as a tower. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and that was really, really good as well. It's kind of like that, 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 that again tying it back into sort of the music that people are familiar with that went with the comic. That's really fun. But yeah, that was great. I think that sort of aspect of it really kind of, you know, got people wanting to sit there for a, for a lot longer. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there was a lot to do. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just feel like, I've heard nothing but good things about it. So That's everyone's been enormously impressed. So like, I think I would formally thank you both for your contribution <laughs> to society. Oh, well, thank you for letting us uh, yeah. use and abuse your story world. Anyway, Mink, do you want to do the outro, I guess? Um, yes, so thank you guys for, for joining me and uh, thank you for listening to Fun Times with Great People. Fun, 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 fun. Fun Times with Great People, yeah!